The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. This week we are joined by a very, very special guest, the captain of Team America, 40K Jesus himself. Sean, how does he do it, Naden? Sean, how are you doing? Well, you can tell that I'm old if my title keeps getting longer like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've amassed so many wins with so many different armies and in such stylistic fashions. You know, you got to keep on upping yourself. Yeah, that's why the hair keeps growing longer, right? Are, are you ever going to cut it? Is that the plan? Sometimes I look at pictures of me with short hair and I'm like, oh, that'd be great. I'd love to do that for like a weekend. And then I remember (laughs) that you can't, because the thing with long hair is, and I enjoy it, I love it, love how it looks. Um, But there's this phase between short hair and long hair that is terrible. And you never want to go back to that phase. That's true. It's true. It's like awkward growing pain. So like once it gets cut, it's probably cut for a very long time. Yeah. Well. I enjoy your long hair, your luscious flows, and your weird lists. That's actually what we're here to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get to know Sean, Naden, how he got to be the captain of Team America. How does he play the, even when he's playing the metal armies, he's not playing them the meta style. He's a very unique perspective on the game, and we're going to figure out all of that stuff. He's also become quite the hobbyist, winning uh, best overall in Renaissance Men in a variety of different tournaments uh, throughout the years, and overall an amazing 40K player. So we're going to unpack the, the enigma that is Sean Naden as best we can over here. It's been a lifelong challenge of mine. And then in part two, we're going to go over to where our subscribers are on AOW40K.com. That is our Patreon. For five bucks a month, you can get access to this episode along with all of the other episodes. And in that episode, we're going to be talking about how Sean piloted his orc army of all factions with a pretty eclectic list to undefeated at the Battle for Salvation against a, a myriad of opponents, broken chaos marines, broken elves, all kinds of stuff. So, Sean, why don't you tell me how you got into Warhammer? So, I started Warhammer many, many moons ago. A whole Quentin's lifespan away, as I found out this year. Like- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Art of Wars, Quentin, if, if you're not following that, that train of thought, is a whole my Warhammer life old. So, that's um, like 22, 23 years now? Yeah. That's so, I walked in in my high school... Uh, after, like early as a freshman, there was a after school fair to show us some of the clubs that, you know, people participated in or, you know, access to, and you know, anything like drama, art, you know, rugby, all those kinds of things. And on this table were 40K models and it was third edition. And I was like, what is this? This looks really cool. And, you know, a short time later, I had clicked and ordered an Eldar army and it was off to the races. I still have some of the, the first models that I painted. I mean, I think I have a lot of the models that I even bought back then. Some of them have been repainted. Some of them kept... My wife keeps one. That was the first model I ever painted. It was actually a warlock with a witchblade, and she keeps it um, on her dresser and stuff like that. So long, long, long time ago, you know, and they still haven't changed some of the Phoenix Lord models, so I have them. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's obviously been quite a journey playing for 20 plus years from, you know, game store little kid to full adult playing all but professional Warhammer, you know, representing your country and stuff. What has that journey been like? How did you go from this to that? Right. So at first I only played, you know, in the 
the club after school, you know, with a couple of kids, sometimes at people's houses, those kinds of things. Uh, sometimes we didn't really even have terrain or anything or concepts of that. And, you books, know, little book terrain, you know, books. Yeah. Cause sometimes we play in the school library and, you know, we'd bring in like cartons or egg cartons or things that we were carrying our armies with or tackle boxes or, you know, toolboxes and just, you know, do the best that we can. Um, and from there, you know, I took a little bit of break, um, after high school, first couple of years of college, uh, when I was, uh, later in my college career and had an apartment and, uh, my girlfriend was very far away at a different school. Uh, you know, I was like looking for something to do. Wasn't so much interested in going out anymore and all those things. So I brought my Warhammer models up, set up my desk, started painting. There was actually the first time I actually went into a local store was at this point. Um, there was a GW store, um, maybe 30, 40 minutes, uh, from my university uh, walked in there, met the manager and met Alex Fennell. Um, and that started my, you know, journey into, oh, there are tournaments for this. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, you know, I never even really looked into anything like that, saw anything like that. So now we're talking fifth edition, um, playing with my Eldar and also with my drop pod space Marines, um, drop pod space Marines was, I believe when we first met. Um, yeah, I think that was our very first game. Yeah, I, think a, I don't remember I think, any details. I think a, a young Nick with Warpquake and his Grey Knights kind of thought that, you know, drop pods would be an easy win. That's, that's right. It'd be like, it was like a hard counter type <laughs> of situation, or so I assumed. Um, and, you know, it was funny. We, we played, and I went first, which, you know, was super helpful, obviously. But you after the game, you were like, oh, I should have, you know, just null deployed. Because back then, fifth, you could just take your whole army off the board. There was no rules about how much you had to start on or off. Um, and it was a pretty common tactic that people had against drop pods. Um, and you were like, ah, oh, I should have just started everything off the board and, you know, messed up your plans. And I was like, oh, I actually had a plan for that. And you're like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I was just going to line the edge of your deployment zone with drop pods and dreadnoughts and land speeders. And you're like, what? And then I happened to do it the next game and block an Imperial Guard army off the board. And you're like, oh, my goodness, you're a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was pretty much our first introduction. <laughs> We're going from there and, you know, just keep playing more and more stuff. You continue to play, you know, my weird my Webway Gate Dark Eldar. Um, I bring my, the Lictors out for the first time with the Tyranid list and um, various different things. And I stick to, I move back to my Xenoses and, you know, I think the Marines went on the shelf from there, you know, on. Um, in, in pretty much until like a little blip of them last year at, at WTC. But, you know, in team events, you, you play what people totally tell you to play. Um. <laughs> That's been a lot of your kind of recent history as a 40K player. Um, I mean, obviously, 20 plus years of playing 40K, you have quite a bit of history there. But recently, you've been a Team America captain, platformer that you were a player. You know, you've been on the ATC team plenty of times. So you're no stranger to team play. Um, and you're very versatile in that role because you kind of play off-the-wall lists, you view the game from a very different perspective, which makes it hard to counter you in pairings, and we can get into all that, but what I really want to know is, like, how do you go about creating and choosing a 40k list to play and take to a big tournament? I'm reflecting upon your past a little bit, and I'm thinking of, like, Lictor Shame is, like, the definition of while well, everyone is zigging, you go zack. You know, this is a ancient time, 7th edition, I think, maybe 8th and... 7th. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah, like flying monster two up rerollable units in the game, and there's Eldar with their lynxes and hornets, and Sean just shows up with a bunch of MSE lictors and Molochs, and you know, we didn't get too nitty-gritty details of 7th edition minutia, but it's a very unorthodox approach and very much opposite-minded to how most people conventionally think about the game. So I'm so curious, like, how do you view it? How do you build lists like this? So there's sometimes a bit chicken, bit egg, right? Um, so Lictor Shame, for example, um, the Dark Eldar Codex was being changed, was, and we already kind of saw but there was one more BFS or some tournament, I think it was a BFS, where it was still legal for me to play with Vect. Right, and who I loved, a character I loved uh, through like the Death Star edition where everybody else was like, he's 240 points in T3. And I was like, I don't care, he's awesome. <laughs> and um, so it was my last ride with them. But back then you could even do weirder, you know, combos sometimes. So I could add Tyranids to this list. And there had been a detachment that had come out recently that was the Death Leaper Lictor detachment. So it was like five individual Lictors plus Death Leaper. Wasn't very expensive, they were pretty cheap. And so I added them to my B-Star Dark Eldar list um, with no psychic powers, obviously, because you could only have two detachments, I believe, at the time. So I had these six Lictors as just kind of a meme, and then I had the Dark Eldar. And the Lictors did kind of good things. I was like, oh, you know, they were beating up some Wave Serpents, they were doing some stuff. So since the new Dark Eldar Codex didn't make me happy, and I was actually semi-angry at it, and, you know, at, at various times, like, when you're playing a bunch of the same army for a period of time, you sometimes just need a break, a palate cleanse. So that was where I developed Lictor Shame. I was like, I want to use these Lictors. One, I love the model. It's one of my favorite models in the Tyranny line at the time. I want to use it. I don't want to run out and buy a bunch of Tyranny models. Um, at the time, I owned some Molochs and like uh, Flyrant and Gene Stealers and stuff. So I was like, how can I make this work? How can I make this Mimi? And then I added you know, Spore Mimes and the way that they all, everything was interacting with the edition at the time. That's how that list came apart. Um, a lot of times, uh, again, because like you mentioned, I, I favor some of the hobby stuff at this point um, in my time, because it's what I have more time for at home and, you know, in my, in my spare time. Uh, a lot of times a list will start with, hey, I want to use these models. They look cool. And I'll start with that. And then we'll play in tournaments, we'll play in events, and certainly my early early orc lists, last edition, started with, hey, I think the Squig Hogs are really cool models, I think Gaskell's a really cool model, I think a couple, you know, these Mechanobs can make a cool model, the Battle Wagons are cool, a bunch of stuff where I'm like, oh, this is cool, and I play, and then you'll play in events, and you're like, okay, yeah, some of these are cool, but you do kind of want to win games too sometimes, so as you, at that point, once you own a bunch of models, it's easier to then adjust because you just are adding to an army versus starting up. So a lot of times when I start up an army, it's like, hey, what's cool? What, what do I enjoy um, to hobby? And then once I have enough of it, I can go, oh, what what makes it work? And, you know, do I still want to stick to some of these models that I really like, um, but I can change other parts of the list to be more, you know, actually competitive or those kinds of things? So what I'm struggling to understand here is it, it well maybe not struggling to understand but it sounds like you let your hobby drive you which i think is amazing right like you think these models are cool it's a very passion honest way to play warhammer but you are a top level competitor you know you know you've been at the top tables you've won lvo you've won so many events and at those levels you know most players are trying to take the most cutthroat list they can you know everything is optimized down to the last frag grenade and you're showing up with a battle wagon full of boys and, and a few storm boys here and some bikes over there and some mega knobs with gas and 
you know, one of the things in theory would just not be as powerful as like a meta netlist type of thing. But with consistency throughout like over decades, you've been able to pilot unorthodox, you know, maybe passionate lists to those into those super strong lists and come out with wins. So these are into even great players, too. So where is the secret sauce, I guess, is what I'm asking. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if your if your units can still do jobs and you put them in those situations to do the jobs that they that they want to do, and you stick to what wins 40k games, which is scoring points and um, playing mission, as long as your lists are doing those things and you know have some bite, have some kill, uh, they can be unorthodox, right? It, you know, even at top level play, like for example, even more recent, not more recent than this orc list, you know, the recent WTC, which is a pinnacle of competitive 40k right um i had a tiered list that many did not think was very good yeah it and didn't looked uh, it was it was like tiered monster mash and this is very early 10th edition so um a lot of the game had been undiscovered at this point but you had i guess innovated on tiered and this an example right and we had been done some testing um john lennon from the art of war who was on team usa he's one of our assistant captains he had developed a horde tiered list that we were like, oh, it does this, 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 it beats these, these things. And I was like, I don't know that I want my old man back to play that many models for seven rounds, uh, especially with not a ton of practice time. So we put, I put together a monster list to be like, can we get similar results with the monsters, right? Um, can we get results? Like obviously, that's a matchup environment where like I, we were like, okay, can it beat custodies? Check, yes. Can it be GSC? Check, yes. Can it be Marines? Check, yes. Um, not necessarily beat a lot of other things, uh, but, you know, have some, you know, solid game plan to a couple of them just because of how good Biovore scoring was, for example, to hold you in some games that maybe, you, you know, just to keep close in terms of the matchup environment. So you can do those kinds of things if you like you understand 40K really well and you can play with things you love. And also if you really love something, you tend to try and make it work, even if it like is borderline. And like you said, the fine edge on how good a something is or how bad something is is sometimes very close. And you can play with some of those things if maybe you're a slightly better player than a lot of the opponents in attendance, right? Um, certainly, if you're playing with something a little weaker, if you run into players that are just as good or better than you, then you know you're going to need more things to swing your way mid game to keep it close, right? Um, but if all other things being equal, you can play with the sliding scales to, to, to your desires in 40K and still have good results if you're willing to put in the work. Um, learn how 40K works, learn how your army works, learn how those units work and put them on the table. And then, you know, like everything, uh, hope that you either dodge maybe a couple of the bad matchups, dodge maybe some players that you're, that are better than you um, along the way, and, you know, and then you can have results at a tournament. Um, the game is very complicated and winning events is very complicated, but um, because there's all kinds of factors like how tired people were, how, you know, did they go drinking out last night? Are they drinking now? Like there's lots of things that are even just like involved in, in, a, in a tournament that are outside of just X's and O's too. Right. Right. There's so many factors into winning a specific event, but I think what you've ultimately highlighted is like, if you, if you have great 40 K fundamentals, then, you know, the unit is doing a job and whether or not it's the right, the best data sheet in your codex to do that specific job 
a battle wagon will still drive your troops to victory. And, and maybe you can get similar results out of monsters that you do with gaunts and in very different ways of approaching the problem. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed that you do really, really well, Sean, I, I got to commend you for it, is you look at a, the meta in kind of a holistic sense and you can identify, all right, this X, Y, Z are, are problems and this is the strengths, weaknesses, kind of objective to what they, what, you know, public opinion might be. And then you can like just open up a codex or whatever and figure out a very unique answer. And I'm going to just highlight an example from recent history that I can think of here is like the Custodes and Gene Stealer cult matchup, right? Uh, at WTC. I think a lot of other teams fell into this trap where they looked at your Tyranid monster match list and there it's got like Tyrant effects and old one eye and Karn effects and it looks like a hodgepodge of weirdness. And, you know, you would assume. All right, Tyranny monsters are not like unkillable, nor are they that killy. Custodes should just like walk right through that, especially in their prime. This is peak 10th edition of Custodes right here. And similarly, GSC is like infinitely coming back to life, broken under cost of demo charges and neophytes and this and that. And, you know, they have no issue passing damage checks. So you with your monster army, that should be out of seed, out shot, all that stuff. And then you walked right in those matchups and you said 20 0, you know, multiple times to different countries. So it's, you know, surface level, even great players are looking at this matchup theory, you know, like, I got your number, walking straight into your traps. How do you identify that in list creation, development, and theory? Right, and I don't think we were setting that up, that army up to be a trap, right? We thought in testing it did do these certain things, right? Now it had to be played in certain ways, and I did take some lumps um, and do some, bit like, I had to do like a last minute change, certainly on the Carnifex gun to make the Custodes matchup actually work. Um, Cause at first we were testing the, the super volume gun and I found that the 18 inch range was, was not really cutting it. And that I wanted, I wanted the 24, I wanted the, the AP. And by doing some math there, I was like, Oh, it still kills the same amount of neophytes basically because the AP takes them to no save. But the, the AP two strength seven is a huge, Damage one is a huge stat break for custodies, right? You go from, you go to wounding them with threes, you go to putting them straight to their invul. Deathbedders versus devourers, that conversation. Right. Um, And I couldn't tell you off the top of the head which one is which. Deathbitter devourer, which is why I'm talking about the numbers that they do. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're, you're not so passionate about the, the tier of details. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I mean... Uh, yeah, and they uh, yeah, they just have funny names, and some people probably don't even know which gun it is. I made John put them together correctly. Cause, uh, Absolutely. No, that's, uh, what John's- <laughs> that's what he's good for. But, uh, but yeah, so I did a subtle change right there. But then even in the G- – so in, like, the Custodes matchup, it became that I could kind of bully them to a degree um, as long as I was semi-patient in certain areas and did kind of some stuff that normally isn't what I like to do. Normally I kind of just like to rush in. Um but the Tyranid list was obviously more of a shooting list with some combat monsters that could, you know, mix it up a little bit. Um, and the GSC list, similarly, uh, it was it's it was a weird design where we needed to play super patient and KG because of how, like you said, the stat check that GSC can force on you. Um, but the problem for GSC is that they, you know, want to get close. They also struggle with certain things like T12 monsters with a two-up. Um you know, that can get given female pain. So they struggled with Tyrant effects. So like, but the Carnifexes were weird in that if you came with them for, if you came for them with one unit, it wasn't going to work because they would just overwatch it off the board. 
So you had to come with them for multiples, but if you were using some of your other monsters and your spore mines to control the flow of where the GSC were and just play a very patient game where you're just not exposing and you're just, the GSC army thinks they're going to get huge points and you just slow roll up the board um, until they're all down, right? And then once they're all down, you, you pounce and you push and you pressure and, you know, the trigon that comes in three maybe messes up the spot where they were going to put all their blips and all those kinds of things where it wasn't an early pressure list. It was a turn three, turn four, push up the board, crush everything, you know, kill because you could kill most of the army in like one, one and a half turns. Um, because again, it's just T3 dudes, T4 dudes with, you know, no saves. And so you're, and you're tagging. And it was also development of the Exocrine in that list, who's a decent shooting unit, but like lower priority on the target scale, where into GSC, into most matchups, it sat on like a flank, it sat on an objective, it shot and, you know, fire, fire positioned onto another objective. But in the GSC matchup, it became the frontline warrior because that let it, you know, push, push the screen out, push the screen out where they like, they didn't want to drop in mines to kill this thing they wanted to get your you know your carnifexes your tyrannifexes your, your your hive tyrant but this exocrine was running up the board until it could touch something and then once it could touch something that unit was basically shut down because it couldn't kill them it was terrible in combat but it could continue to shoot its weapon at other units um and create the firing base that way where it was just like and it would grind this unit down over the course of the game um, which is not what a GSU player wants. They want to die immediately so they can come in and do damage again. So just different like play style type things where you're you're figuring it out, figuring out the puzzle of 40k in those cases. It sounds like you were able to figure out how to solve these matchups through to, through sort of reverse engineering. Like this is what they're trying to do. This is how I want to counter it. This is what they're trying to do. This I'm going to counter it. And and through that process, really refining your how you play a matchup and. I love the example used with the extra frame. You can put it in the back on objectives, on the flank, whatever, in most matchups. But, you know, different tools, different games, use it like a frontline screen against GSC for whatever reasons. But um, when you're developing all this, the way that I would go about that would be just, you know, play endless games into the GSC until I learn it all. And I know you, Sean, you're like a, a new father. Um, you got your hobby projects you're working on. You're a busy man. So, I know you don't have time to play like tons and tons of games. So where are you able to come up with these intricate plans, which makes sense in retrospective when they're explained to you or maybe when they happen to you, but you got to come up with this stuff, you know, proactively. Right. And, and, and in this case on a timeline, we had, an, I think we, when we, we were changing lists and doing things before deadline, I had to think a week and a half to develop the final tiered list that we were going to bring. Um, and you know, you're not going to be able to cover all your bases. Um, you know, we felt like it had some good principles, some of the play style stuff to clean up. We actually did post-op when the list was already submitted and we couldn't change it, which is a place that I tend to live and accept a lot of times because through my other styles, when I'm building a list hobby wise, sometimes I'm like, this is all I can do. Um, I can't paint anything extra. I have no time. I don't have any, you know, extra you know, hours in the day this week, this month for this tournament. So this is what we're going to play with. And, you know, so we have to figure out how it works in 40K because it can't change, right? So, you know, all those types of things, that's kind of like the stuff I love, the puzzle puzzle building I like to do. Whereas, you know, you have a list, you know, you can't do anything about it. It's stuck. How can you still play 40K really well with it? Um, and, and those kinds of things. But yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, have, again, years and years of experience playing 40K and understanding that it's about, you know, you got to be able to do some damage, yes. 
but you got to be able to score and you got to play the missions and, you know, reading those missions and seeing games played um, even like, a, you know, a turn or two of, of a game uh, watching a GSC army can give me ideas on how it works. Uh, I was able to build some of the Tyranid stuff off the backs of the orc list we had developed with all the trucks and realizing that you know, GSC doesn't like when things that don't kill them in combat touch them. So like, that's where like the exocrine kind of developed off that, that, you know, it was a good platform in a lot of other matchups for the Tyranids. It gave them something they didn't have, but in that matchup, what it gave them the best was that it was a bunch of wounds that, you know, weren't that valuable and could just run up and touch things um, similar to a truck that would be like, Oh, I have no attacks, but beep beep. Um, (laughs) Here we are. So it, it, and being able to use, like, like you said, I don't get a lot of games. So any game I do get has to give me basically, you know, backend data to my brain that I can then use on any other lists that we're working on, whether in the team format or, or in myself. What kind of transferable skills can you take game to game? Cause I imagine when you play somebody uh, like at your local level, they're probably not competing at the international level, so it's harder to gain knowledge just based on skill gap that might exist. And then you're playing your list, you get one rep against one army, that's one perspective, and there's 25 armies in the game, all these different variation lists. How do you determine you know, what might what is worth taking to a tournament from that small data sample? Right, so you look, in terms of 10th edition 40k, you look, can what's your plan? Are you playing tactical? Are you playing fixed? Um, how do you have enough units to play either of those or whichever one you want to? To be honest with you, I have not played a game of 10th edition 40k really with the cards, mostly because I don't own a deck and learning things is hard for me sometimes. Just going fixed. So I have to worry about. <laughs> um, basically, the two lists I developed for uh, for team play for WTC were both fixed. Uh, fixed lists. The Tyranids were fixed. The Orcs were fixed. Um, I played fixed every game at BFS with uh, the Orc list I played there. Um, I've not played a actual game with cards other than maybe one of the first two or three practice games we played on um, for for tenth when it first came out. And even uh, with your Tyranids, I feel like Tyranids are a tactical army. I don't own a. I didn't own a deck. I had <laughs> okay. No interest in playing anything. <laughs> but enough, Sean. I should make that the title. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so i'm sorry you just short circuited my brain with that one i really had a whole lot of questioning it usually asks people what is your plan for secondaries but i guess sean just goes fix you know that's the answer you know keep it simple like and that but like there's a factor to that right where like you're every game you're like this is what i'm doing i have a plan you know i'm going to do this or i'm going to like uh, you maybe you have two or three and then sometimes if their army list has some that you think you can get easily maybe pick those as well um, what happens if they don't give anything up, right? Like you're playing like a balanced army, you know, medium bring it downs, medium assassinates. It's not worth really getting, you know, what do you take? I mean, for the Tyranids, it was Homer's behind enemy lines almost every game, Homer's cleanse. Um, same thing with the orcs, so Homer's cleanse, you know, just just do it. Maybe some, I think one or twice it took behind enemy lines with the orcs as well. Just just get your points, do your things. Um so there's there's, we, a, there's there's an inherent value to that. I don't know if you want to talk about it more in the the back end. Uh, no, um, I think that's a great uh, place to talk about is right now. I was actually just going to ask you what your orc list was that you took to BFS to give us some context. Oh, oh no, I was saying like in terms of like the strategy of that kind of scoring and um. But why don't we talk about that? Yeah, go ahead. Talk about only going fix with cleanse and homers and how you do that. Right. So like if you think about it, right, um, the game of forty k has five turns. That's it. So there's five opportunities to score secondaries. 
if every turn, starting with the first turn, you're putting points on the board and your opponent has maybe one round of bad cards. Now they know that their cards are worth more, right, at certain points, that they can score more than you're fixed. But if they start with two cards, they can't do. And you put up a seven. And then they draw one card they can do and one they can't. And they get like a three or a five. But you get seven again. Or an eight. And then you get eight again. And that causes them to maybe get out of character. Right? Because you've putting... Um, what we're going to talk a lot about with the orc list. And what it does. And what it is is that it's a pressure list. Um, right? But it's putting a pressure on you in multiple facets. Um, and one of those is score. Where... You know, if you get behind on primary, you're behind on secondaries. Now you start making bad decisions to try and catch up because there is a finite amount of times that you can score. But the or the the person playing fixed in a lot of ways is like, I'm just going to keep putting up this number. I'm just going to keep pressing the button until you tell me to stop. And you know, you have to tell them to stop, or or you know, yeah. it almost you, lets you, you play your orc army like it's control in, in terms of uh, archetypes. Like your opponent has to go stop the orc army from just doing deploy homers or doing cleanse and then stopping the orc army means getting charged and fighting the orc army which is everything you want to do as an orc player yeah absolutely do you find with that style especially when you're when you're forced into like cleanse and homers as a very sit behind the walls do the passive actions and force your opponent in that spot um that it is challenging kind of like halfway through the game or towards the end of the game to keep up with the amount of actions you've committed to doing. That's three actions per turn. Um, so my list had a bunch of units that don't do anything other than press that button. And <laughs> well, I'm super like Gretchen, Gretchen don't do anything but press the button. Storm boys are really like, they're only 65 points. They press the button. Bikes are 70 points. They press the button. Um, the truck, once the dudes are out of it, it goes and presses the button. <laughs> like the battle wagon, it'll press the button. <laughs> you know, everybody's pressing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us what the orc list was? Because philosophy-wise, it makes a lot of sense. Scoring for five turns, gaining control, forcing your opponents to stop you. That's that's a great strategy in Warhammer. Um, and but kind, of, kind of philosophically, it's worked that way. Addition to addition to addition, whoever's in control is, is winning. Um, orcs, you don't really think of as a control army. You kind of think of them as a... Like you said, a pressure list that tries to murder your face off, but um, it doesn't sound like you were actually doing that. So what was the list you took? So I had a Beast Boss, um, Gaskol Thraka with Makari, um, a knob on Smash a Squig with Headwapa's Kill Choppa, a knob with a Wah Banner, a War Boss with Follow Me Lads, a regular War Boss, uh, 10 Beast Naga Boys, uh, 20 regular boys with a power claw, a truck, a battle wagon with hard case and some manner of upgrades. I don't think I ever shot the gun. Um, two units of Gretchen, a unit of two mega knobs, a unit of 10 knobs, all power claws. My, my mega knobs had twin kill saws and two units of three squig hog boys, two units of storm boys with power claws, minimum five mans. Two war bike units with power claws, min threes. And that's the list. Yeah, when I look at this list, it, it definitely looks like it's got a lot of cheap mission play tools, right? Two units of three storm boys, two units of five storm uh, uh, bikes, the squig hogs, the truck, the Gretchen. It's you know, lots of small stuff. Um, but 
whenever I look at Norquist, I always kind of just assume it's going to run straight at me. That's what works do these days. And I'm sure there's a lot more nuance going into it. And especially when you look at your data sheets, it's not like you're designed straight to run at me. There's not 18 squig hogs. There's no three kill rigs. You know, there's no six trucks. So in your words, Sean, how do you play this army? So step one, um, this list is, aside from more mega knobs who are semi-terrible right now, and more battle wagons and some death dreads that are rough. This is every orc model I have painted, and that's why I brought this list. <laughs> um, that is a valid reason, <laughs> but I mean, it goes to show, right? Like, if, you, if this is what you got, and you don't have, yeah. and we refuse to buy more things in this world, then well, it's not it's not a refusal. I actually I did uh, I moved three or three weeks before this event. I moved, and so like four weeks before that all my things were packed up and so i had no for like a seven week period actually i still don't um today have my paint desk set up so i haven't been able to paint since before wtc right, uh, so which limited which limits what you can do and uh you know i actually originally wasn't planning to go to this event at all i thought it was the same weekend as comic-con which my wife wanted to go to um that's her big thing i was like no no problem baby i'll stay home with kids but then they texted me and like, Sean, you're not coming. I was like, well, it's the same week as Comic-Con. And they're like, not this year. You can come. Get your shit together. And I was like, okay, you're right. <laughs> I'll show up. So, again, I wasn't part of my fall plan. I have a very, very busy fall this year with just, like, personal stuff, like weddings and Comic-Con. That I was just like, oh, I probably won't play 40K a lot um, in, until the winter. Uh, so it wasn't, like, on stress uh, for me to try and, you know, with the move, especially to try and get models ready. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to play. Um, some friends are coming in from out of town. You know, there's a lot of good reasons to go to a 40 K tournament, hang out with your buddies and, you know, roll some dice, kill some models, do some things. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a big factor for army construction in that I was like, okay, if I'm going to show up, because like we talked about, and something I stress to people all the time is, the more you put into the hobby, right, the more you can get out of it. And part of that is, for me, painting. Um, either painting your stuff and learning to paint really well or, you know, hiring commission artists and, you know, putting money in those people's pockets As in, in, in those regards. Is that once you're a certain level of player and the best players in the world, and I, which is what I tell people, is five and one. X and one is the best you can ever hope to be. Over a long enough timeline, that's what your average is. Because um, once you have one loss, it rounds up in my in my mind is how I describe it. Is so okay. You went six and zero at five straight events, and then you lost one. Well, guess what? You're a one loss average player again. Um, people are like, oh, what about point two five average player? I'm like, no, still one. <laughs> it's still one. It's more, it's more than zero, um, which is all you can be. And once you are that type of person, having other avenues for victory is really good. Which is why you know people like me and uh, Andrew Gagno, Sasha Edekrau, like love the Redman award and fight for that too because we're all you know x1 type players um you know any given time we might you know come with a list or an idea and or be playing well that weekend and go six and oh but we're all going to fall into that one one loss average type place and then because our armies look so good we walk out with top prizes all the time anyway so yeah it's a really that was certainly it was certainly a factor where i wasn't i didn't feel like i could get um I, obviously i own eldar models I could, that are pretty as well. I could have thrown a list together with Eldar models I had to play 10th. I hear they're pretty good, this edition. Um, <laughs> they, they, I could have brought them too. But my orcs right now look better. So I was like, you know what? Let's bring just the best painted stuff. So Gazgul, 
who I think Gaskell's not great. I think he has some play, and I think there's some specifics we can go into on where Gaskell works and does some things. But my Gaskell is a 45-hour paint project. He is gorgeous in my mind, you know? So I was like, Absolutely. he's, he's showing up. He's showing up. It looks great, Sean. Like, that's no... No questions asked, and you win Renman or best overall at most events you go to with this thing. I imagine. Um, yeah, so- I actually, I actually walked out of this event with a pile of trophies, like a literal pile. Um, I won best painted single model, second best converted model, second best painted army, second best Renman, and obviously best general um, as well. Right. And I think that it just goes to show even more impressively, like you're, you're crushing it so much on this paint side and you're able to play with a limited model set um, to such an amazing standard. So, you know, limitations aside, this is what you took to the tournament. How did you use it? Right. So what I would tend to do was drive straight towards my opponent and then wah, and that was it. Um <laughs> talk about the, the deploy homers in the clutch and when it comes to just hitting the table all out the window you're just another work player call log charge him turn two get it done with. really all it is yeah we, we played a couple close appointments so i did actually the orc law mechanic frustrates me to no level that you like it should be like a, uh, I, a, I think it should just go back to what it was but like if gw was like some people really want it you know, defensively, I'd be like, okay, how about you just say you can call it in any command phase, not just the start of battle round, because there's a huge, massive difference between an orc army that goes first and an orc army that goes second, um, in terms of just like having that agency on your one special rule. And like, not only do they limit it to now it's only one, you know, battle round, but like, so the way, ah. the way the log works, basically the start of the battle round, you're going to call the log once per game you get five invuls plus one attack plus one strength and advance and charge is that right yes um but if you go second you're calling it in your opponent's turn all the time so if in like in the past in ninth edition for example if my opponent was overly aggressive on top of one i could look at the board and go you stretched yourself out and you got too close to me why please let me punish you for that right but now if i don't bet on them being too aggressive and they go, Hey, you're going to wah. And you go, no, they go bet your max threat range is now X and I can just move up to that and I can be as aggressive as I want. And there's no, there's no punishment for, yeah, let's you be know. stage upon you really effectively. And if you do preemptively call the log turn one, they can just sit there and show for a turn. <sighs> exactly. So I did call it three times in turn one in this, this tournament. Um, did you go first in those games? I did not. I did not go first in one game. In this you tournament. went second six games in a row with an six army games. that is, you know, unorthodox and maybe not optimized. Then just called the log turn two and won every game, except for the three games you went first, or the three games you called the turn one, and you never went first. What even happened at this tournament? <sighs> yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're so going to go game by game through your matchups in part two. That's the point of that. But I just want to know, like, there's got to be more to this list than than do cleanse and homers until and call log turn two. You know, what is the nuance here? 
There's no nuance. It's an orc list that just punches people in the face. It doesn't even have any guns, Nick. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's no nuance. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to see it, Sean. Like, how are you able to pull these Ws out? Um, well, again, I've, I had some favorable matchups and and favorable situations that happened, um, and I don't I don't mince that at all. Um, that's very important to winning a tournament, right? Is you need some things to go well, and you need some things to go right at the right moment. Um, again, like I said, I think there's a I think there's a knowledge gap um, with people and experience gap and understanding that um, you know even. You know, we all make mistakes. No, nobody plays perfect tournaments. But you know, even my, you know, my orc opponent, for he was going first. He was like debating to call the wa or whatnot, and he's like, "Well, I call if I don't call it, but I move up too much, then you'll call it and you charge me, and I won't have the five up in bowl." And I said, "Dude, man, no, I have to call it right now." And he was like, "Oh, right, I totally forgot. You can't." He's like, "So, are you going to call it?" And I was like, "No, I'm not going to call it turn one because <laughs> you're just going to sit there." <laughs> He's like, all right, bet. So he could move up in stage and do like the minimum scoring he wanted to do in the middle of the board. And I was like, yeah, that sucks. But, you know, other opponents were, I called it turn one. Some of them just still moved up, you know. Yeah. And I was like, well, I, I basically gambled on you, but, you know, I'm here for a good time, not for a long time. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. Awesome. Well, we're going to unpack those matchups specifically in part two, learn the nuances of how Sean actually orchestrates the charges and, you know, actually drops the elbow on everybody on turn two. And when people are ready for what to do about the orcs, what does that look like? How do you defend against an orc wog turn? Because, uh, you know, from the sounds of it, you just don't. So we're going to try to learn all of that good stuff on AOW40K.com, which is our Patreon you can sign up right now for part two and get access to this episode along with 212 others. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to. Thank you so much. Enjoy Art of War's content. They're All great right, guys. Well, thank you. Well, Sean, you'll be on more Art of War content in part two on our Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll catch you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.